0: This is a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations with host Leah Lem. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health. Hello, I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech, and thank you for joining me for more conversations, more explorations about how Indian country in Minnesota is responding and adapting to the current pandemic. Today on the show, we're talking about health systems and what tribal nations are doing that can help everyone. I'll be exploring those subjects and more with Mariah Norwood. Mariah is a citizen of the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma. She's passionate about decolonizing public health advancing health equity, promoting tribal data sovereignty, and she's an advocate for community-led change. Mariah is now working for the Minnesota Department of Health as the Infectious Disease American Indian Liaison. Mariah is a JD candidate at the Mitchell-Hamlin School of Law and has a Master's in Health Administration from the University of Oklahoma. She's also a Tribal Cancer Control Research Fellow and is a member of the American Public Health Association's Tribal Public and Environmental Health Think Tank. So as you can see and guess, uh, we're going to cover a lot of grounds in our conversation. So we're going to get started right away. Here's our conversation. Buju Mariah, can you please introduce yourself for me?
1: Sure. Hi, I am Mariah Norwood. Um, I'm an enrolled member of the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma, but currently I'm occupying Dakota territory around Lower Sioux. Um, And I work for the Minnesota Department of Health as the American Indian Liaison for Infectious Diseases.
0: Well, we have a lot to talk about today, but first, how are you doing, Mariah?
1: I am doing good today. Um, Enjoying the weather and just really taking in some of the springtime weather that actually feels like spring. (laughs)
0: about time, huh? <laughs> so can you tell me a bit more about your role as the Infectious Disease American Indian Liaison at the Minnesota Department of Health? I bet there's some added complexity during the pandemic.
1: <laughs> yes, uh, my role actually was created as a response to the pandemic, um, which I think has been an interesting time to come into this position, um, especially knowing that infectious diseases have impacted tribal communities long before (laughs) the pandemic started. Um, So I feel really blessed to be in this position and um, I get to work with each of the tribes throughout the state, as well as the urban Indian um, health departments and Um, other AI-serving orgs in the metro and throughout greater Minnesota, um, really focusing on infectious disease prevention and mitigation strategies that are centered in indigeneity. Um, So really looking at how tribes um, as sovereign nations would like to respond to infectious diseases um, and really bringing that impact, input back into how MDH as a state agency is um, responding. So I think we're really, the state is trying to um, really honor tribal sovereignty and in a way that maybe hasn't always happened um, and looking to ensure that the decisions that are being made in tribal communities about infectious diseases um, are really Things that are made by Indigenous people.
0: Great. So, what are you seeing um, in Indian Country in Minnesota in your role as the Infectious Disease American Indian liaison?
1: What we're seeing specifically with regard to the COVID pandemic um, is that tribes really have been leading the way in <laughs> um, throughout the response. They've been leading the way in setting up testing events. They've led the way in vaccinations. They've um, encountered barriers and hurdles before the general public. Um, And so what the tribal response has been has really, I think, really has been awesome. (laughs) Not, Not awesome in a way that you know, this pandemic has obviously impacted our communities differently than the general population. But I think it's been really incredible, just as an Indigenous person working in public health, seeing how for the first time in my career in public health, I'm seeing the general public really be like, oh, we need to listen to tribes. Like, we need need to pay attention to what they're doing. And I think that's a shift that hasn't maybe happened before specifically across the state of Minnesota. Um, counties that have reservations within them, we've seen have had larger per capita percentages of the population vaccinated faster than other places. And I think it would be doing a huge disservice to say that the tribes didn't have something to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's quite evident that it's because of the work that's taken place in tribal communities, that the vaccine rates in places like Menelman County have been higher than in other places. I mean, just from looking at the map that MDH puts online regarding vaccines, they've pretty much been on par with like Olmsted County, which is, you know, where Mayo Clinic is, and which would make sense where you have more people getting vaccinated early on because there's a large health system. But I think that it's really... I don't know if there are too many things before this pandemic that the general public has really like sought out tribal leadership on, on um, how to engage in community. And I think it's, it's just been really awesome.
0: I agree. I, I had resigned myself to, you know, getting the vaccine at some point in time, maybe, you know, I, I, there's no reason for me to need it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and um, was able to get it really quickly over at uh, Cass Lake with Indian Health Service just before I thought I would ever be able to qualify. <laughs> so they were so on it. Yeah, no. It was really incredible to see. No,
1: I totally, totally agree. I, I'm i in my 20s. Um, I am very far away from my tribal community. Um, so I was just like, oh, As a state employee in public health, maybe I can get it by summer, right? I was just like, "Ah, I'll get it when it's my turn," or things like that. And the tribe Lower Sioux called me, and just because I was on their patient list from getting flu shots, and um, they were like, "Oh, can you come get a vaccine this week?" and I was just like, "Yep," (laughs) (laughs) and that was the same thing. I'm like, "Are you sure?" Like, I, I. I'm eligible to get it there. Um, And they're like, yeah, you're IHS eligible. Just, you know, come in and we'll get everything scheduled. And it was the most seamless process, which is what I've heard from people throughout the state with all of the tribes and urban Indian um, health centers that are doing this, both IHB and NAC. Um, I have heard that it has been so seamless in how your appointment is at this time and you are out on time and they have this, you know, well-oiled machine of waiting and um, with different opportunities for smudging places. And it's just been really, I think, awesome to see how quickly our communities were able to get the system down and really take care of community, knowing that a virus doesn't really listen to jurisdiction Mm -hmm. lines, (laughs) (laughs) and so I think that has been, um, something that's been really encouraging. And I think that leadership at all levels can take into account that our communities don't stop at reservation boundaries that are arbitrarily (laughs) (laughs) created. So I think seeing the leadership within, um, tribal nations into how they are prioritizing, um, Their vaccine distribution has been really encouraging also, um, just as a broad public health thing.
0: Right. And it's a real testament to just the incredible work tribes do and also the the value of knowing and understanding the community that you're in um, and the best way Mm -hmm. to get healthcare to them. So I see in your bio that you are passionate about decolonizing public health. Can you yes. tell me a bit about what what does that mean and how do we do it?
1: Sure um I think where we start is really letting communities lead the way so I work for the state, I am also in law school, so I know that I exist in two very colonized systems <laughs> um, sure and that is not something that's lost on me i my Dad is also a white man and I present as a white human. And I know that the benefits that I have from that are also deeply rooted in systemic issues, systemic racism, systemic, lots of issues. (laughs) But I think that within public health and within broader systems, within the structure of this country, We don't always have systems that equitably benefit everyone. We don't currently. We don't historically. I think that some of that is rooted in big systems change issues. I think a lot of that is rooted in colonization, um, just in general. I think that to decolonize public health, We need to look at the tribes right across Minnesota, across the nation. There are some really incredible things happening in public health at a national level because of what tribes are doing, um, because of what BIPOC communities in general are doing within their own systems. You can't make these little bitty changes and hope that it's going to lead to larger systemic change. I think we have to really get at the roots of the issues and I think that comes from asking asking communities what they need and doing that not just asking them so we can say we asked because the people who have the best answers for their communities are the ones who live there um, right I think the best people who have answers for indigenous people are indigenous people and I think as someone who exists in a state position um I feel really grateful for my position because the way that it's been created has really allowed me to go in and start working on some of those policy changes um, that will really honor sovereignty, that will really provide health feedback to um, to providers throughout the state that is rooted in those systems changes for Native people by Native people.
0: And I'm glad you bring up your role with the state too, because um, I, I've heard in the past, especially during the pandemic, that the state has learned a lot from tribes. Um, do you see that there's a way that that the state may learn from tribes in this sense, not not just as applied to tribes, but as applied to rural communities or any any communities in Minnesota?
1: I think as a public health professional, also, there, there are so many lessons we can learn from tribes, not just with infectious disease, right, With for climate change, yes. for <laughs> environmental justice. There are so many incredible things that tribal communities are doing all the time. Um, I think specifically with response to COVID, there are are definite lessons that the state can learn. Um, but I don't think just the state of Minnesota, I think all states <laughs> can learn. I, I grew up in Oklahoma um, and there are tribes in Oklahoma also doing incredible things with COVID. Um, my dad, who's was a white man, who's a teacher, called me, I think in like February or March and was just like, really frustrated with the state there because he couldn't couldn't get a vaccine wasn't prioritized but they were being expected to go back to in-person learning and hmm. all sorts of things which i think is we've seen in minnesota and other places in the country too um and i was like dad like go go to the tribe and he's like i'm not native and i'm not i'm not married to your mom anymore so like i don't have <laughs> i'm not in a native household <laughs> and i was like jerky nation has opened up vaccines to anyone living in their jurisdiction and you live in their jurisdiction and he called he's like what and i was just like yeah like yeah. you you should go call the tribe mm-hmm. see if you know you can schedule an appointment and he called me back like 20 minutes later he's like i have an appointment today oh. I, was just like, I was like okay like, but i think um i think that that's a lesson and i've heard that from people in Minnesota too. I've heard that from people across the country that they didn't realize that the tribe whose jurisdiction they live in had opened it larger to school teachers or to employees of entities that serve their communities, not necessarily just entities that are owned by the tribe. So I think like the tribes have been doing equity work in a way that anyone can learn from right um i think we as systems sometimes think in terms of equality versus equity and i think as a public health system we really need to center our work in equity because what is equitable and fair and right for me isn't going to be the same thing for someone else i think there have been some eye-opening lessons to just look at how can we do equity better? And I think the state for sure could learn from the tribes on how to really prioritize vaccinations in a way that's equitable. Um, But I think that could roll over into other things as well.
0: You're listening to a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health. I'm Leah Lem, and I'm speaking with Mariah Norwood, Infectious Disease American Indian Liaison at the Minnesota Department of Health. We're talking about community-led change in the health system and so much more. So let's get back to the conversation. I wanted to make sure to talk to you about data sovereignty. I keep hearing about data sovereignty and I think I get it. I've looked it up. I've asked Google. (laughs) Uh, So I understand it at kind of a high level. Can you talk about data sovereignty, what it means and why it's significant?
1: Yep. You know, everyone I feel like has one burning passion that (laughs) just exists all the time. And data sovereignty is probably my burning passion. Um. So, for I think you can't really talk about tribal sovereignty and avoid data sovereignty. Um. And so, data sovereignty is like this idea that all data um, that exists, whether that's health data, whether that is population data, whether that's whatever. Um, that tribes should have sole sovereign use of their own data. Um, and I think that isn't something that has historically ever happened. <laughs> um, I think that we can look at research, whether that's university research or private contractor research or um, pick pick any of the above (laughs) and on paper, there will be contracts that say that the tribes have sole rights to their data, but then we'll see data published that is this tribal data um, by universities, by external researchers. um, And I think that for me, you really have to prioritize owning data um, owning research about our populations that are collected about us with us by us whatever I think they I think all systems need to know that any of that data that in- Involves Indigenous people, belongs to Indigenous people, and should be cared for by Indigenous people. Um, I think Indigenous data sovereignty is different than data sovereignty in general. I think all. I think you can apply broad data sovereignty concepts to any population um, that you know solutions that are data-centered shouldn't come from places outside of that community, but I think it's particularly relevant to tribal communities because it's driven from tribes' inherent rights to govern their own people, their own land, and their own resources. Um, So I think that I am a humongous data nerd who could talk about data and data systems for way more than anyone probably wants to hear. Um, But I think that when when we really honor tribal sovereignty um, as a state agency, as a state government, as a federal government, as a private entity, whatever, um, I think That's really listening. It includes listening to tribes. It includes listening to Indigenous nations, Indigenous people, um, to know that it is the responsibility of our communities to safeguard the rights and promote interests within our own communities. Um, And you can't really make real change without having data to back it up. I think especially within um, we exist in a Western system, right? (laughs) I think there's this big discussion about living in two worlds um, that you hear a lot talking about existing in indigenous spaces and existing in Western ones. And I think um, when it comes to funding, when it comes to systemic changes, if you're requesting funding from any nonprofit from any federal system, there's always these requirements of data. Um, and how can you measure your change and how can you measure what you're doing is doing anything. And I think um, part of data, data sovereignty includes knowing that we've always measured change, right? <laughs> As indigenous people, we've measured change for eons. <laughs> um we, we know what our communities look like, um, we always have. We don't always measure those quantitatively the way that Western scientists would prefer. Um, so I think part of data sovereignty is also making systemic changes within those larger Western systems to really allow for communities to track change in a way that makes sense for those communities.
0: There's so many considerations to think about when it comes to data and how it can be used and represent and also misrepresent. So Mm -hmm. really fascinating.
1: I think um, there was just a American Indian organization who recently put out a report um, about state rankings for um, how well states were capturing tribal data in response to COVID. I think it was the Urban Indian Health Institute, but they have done some work on, like, decolonizing data, um, specifically as related to, like, how misrepresentations of data can be a form of, like, data genocide. Uh, <laughs> and it was really, A, it really kind of made me sick to my stomach <laughs> in some spaces because it it rated things on like an A to F scale. They put together this like report card grading of the quality of COVID racial data um, in states' effectiveness in collecting and reporting specifically as related to American Indian and Alaska Native populations. If I'm remembering correctly off the top of my head, there were like four states in the country who were ranked an A. Um, with the average being like a D.
0: <laughs> and yeah. yeah, I see the overall United States got a D plus. Yeah, yeah. And I do see here on the Urban Indian Health Institute's report card that Minnesota has an A. Yes. I a solid ninety-three percent.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that really speaks to the relationship building that has happened in recent years between tribal nations and the state. I think if this report was done 20 years ago, probably wouldn't have had an A. (laughs) Um, I think that within the last decade, largely, there have been massive changes, at least I can speak for sure within Minnesota's Department of Health that have happened to really prioritize improving tribal state relations and I think part of that comes with as a state agency the things that we measure they show what we care about and and I think if we're not I think for states that we're really doing well at measuring anything in regard to indigenous communities, it's quite evident that they probably don't have too great of tribal state relations or care about having them. Um, And I think within the state of Minnesota, is it perfect? No, is, is anything. (laughs) Um, But I think that as long as we're really, Learning from mistakes that have happened and honoring tribal sovereignty and listening to leaders at a tribal level when they're advancing concerns about health equity or about health outcomes in general. I think that's how we continue to, to make sure that we're measuring
0: things in a way that shows we care. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Mariah. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Thank you, it's
1: been so great to be here with you today.
0: Jimmy miigwech Mariah, for taking time to talk. Mariah Norwood is the Infectious Disease American Indian Liaison at the Minnesota Department of Health. Thank you for listening today, Jimmy miigwech There's so much tribal wisdom, tribal knowledge that we can all learn from. So it's really great to reflect on just one of those ways of of utilizing tribal sovereignty to uh, better take care of our communities. So gigawabbamin and I wish you health. I'm Leah Lim. Minnesota Native News Special Edition COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health.